Good morning, beloved Orangewood. How's everyone today? I'm sure that there are a few dates in our lives that you remember clearly, but 15 years ago, if you're like 25 years or older, you know where you were. Where were you on 9-11-2001? I bet you know exactly where you were. I bet you know exactly what you were doing. It's one of those indelible moments of time, is it not? Uh, that when we saw our world seemingly change before our very eyes. I mean, can this be happening? Even this morning, waking up, I'm just scratching my head thinking, is it real? I mean, how did they coordinate that? And uh, we saw terror like never before on our own soil. And I do believe our, our lives have been changed. I'm so grateful for, for God's grace since then, right? And although the world is still in turmoil, it's good to be reminded and to know we're going to look in God's word that Jesus really still is in control, that he is the creator and owner of all things and, and his rule and reign is here. And so when, when we have moments like these, we pray to him and we say things like, Lord, will your kingdom come? Will your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? As we remember 9-11, as we remember the lives that were lost, as we remember the heroes that, that gave their life for others, as we remember uh, the, the country that God has blessed us with, as we remember the terror that's still all around us, we as God's people have a special privilege because we have a special hope and because we have a special peace. But we are his ambassadors. We are the ones who now uh, are, are those to proclaim peace and good news still in Christ's name. So I'm going to pray for us uh, this morning and specifically for our, our country and remembering 9-11. But we're going to end together with the Lord's Prayer. So there'll be a time that it'll be clear for us to do that. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, I want to really think about what we're asking. We're asking for Christ's kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Father God, this is a day that many of us, those of us over the age of 20-something will never forget. It's a day day that we look back to when we remember where we were and what we were doing. And God, is, is our world changed? I love the fact that God, in your sovereignty, even in your mercy, that you knew that that day was coming. Somehow, God, you allowed that day to come. And God, you've been gracious, not only that day, but every day since. God, we ask that that your son's kingdom would come more fully, that your church would shine brightly, that that we would be those ambassadors that you call us to be, that you've empowered us to be because of the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit within us. Father, I can only imagine the pain that today brings to many. The many who will look at a picture, uh, remember a, a place in their life that is no longer there because of a loved one that is lost. God, uh, losing a loved one, it's just not replaceable. But God, would you fill that void with your presence like only you can? Would you give hope like only you, Jesus, a resurrected Savior can? Would you give peace because you are the God of all peace? And would you give us hope? Father, we ask that the church would shine brightly on this day and every day for your glory. And together, God, we we pray that prayer that you taught your disciples and us to pray, praying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me toward the very back of the uh, Bible, we're going to begin today a sermon series uh, through the book of Hebrews, this incredible book. Uh, This series will take us right till Advent. And so you may want to put some markings in there and start reading through this incredible book of Hebrews, uh, which is really going to tell us that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. That whatever is going on, that we need to, to fix our lives, our eyes, our souls on him and find our hope in him. Has Amazon changed your life? Yes. Amazon has changed my life. I can now order virtually anything from anywhere, anytime, and then receive it in like light speed at my door. It's kind of dangerous when you're a materialist like I am, Right? And sometimes when you're bored and sometimes, let me tell you, they're, they're, they're daggum geniuses too, because they start knowing your buying patterns and they'll remember what you were searching on. And, and so if you click that little thing, all of a sudden pops up all the things you think you might know and want and, and have. Well, if you're like me, maybe you've gone over the top a time or two. Have you been delivered something that it was just not what you thought it would be? That little picture that you saw, the thing that you saw, maybe, maybe it was the wrong size or, or maybe it was the wrong shape or the wrong color, but, but then there was just something that wasn't right. You know, just when, once it was delivered, once you had it in your hands, it wasn't what you had hoped it would be. And then you have to ask the question, is it worth the hassle sending it back? How many of you guys have things from Amazon that you're not using because you're too daggone lazy to box the thing up and send it back. Am I the only one? <laughs> well, we're going to see in the book of Hebrews that there are a group of Christians. They were, they were converted Jews who came to Christ. And they embraced Christ as the long-awaited Messiah. And now they're living their life. And their life is different than what they thought was going to be delivered. When they came to Christ, they, they were thinking one thing and, and they were living another thing. I mean, there was persecution and, and there was trouble and there was strife and there was like family angst and, and, and their, their kids were still kids and their, their lives were still broken. So they started to wonder about Jesus. They started to wonder, it was like, is he all that was, was he was billed to be? This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. How come my life is this? And they were wondering, do we send them back? They really were. They were were kind of teetering on the edge of what we might call apostasy, where it's denying the faith and saying, you know, it's not not really worth it. And in the midst of that, we have this this sermon or this letter that's basically going to say, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because, listen, the, the supremacy of who this Jesus is. He's, he's incredibly great and strong and powerful. And the sufficiency of, of his life, death, and resurrection. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And as you do, the, the things of life will grow strangely dim. And you'll be able to endure. 
Can you relate to the writers of Hebrew, those who read Hebrews? Can you relate to those who, who wondered, man, is this, is this what Christianity is all about? Have you been in a time or maybe you're still in it where you've struggled to say, where are you, Jesus? And are you enough? I know as a pastor, I think it all the time. And the times I've prayed for you and it just didn't go the way we had hoped. And the things that we've seen in our own lives and, and the struggles we've had. And hasn't there been times he stopped and said, really? This is it, Jesus? And we start f- focusing our eyes on our circumstances and our hearts start breaking and our circumstances get big and our Savior gets small. And you wonder, hmm, I'm sure you can relate to that if you've lived your life more than 24 hours, especially as a Christian. But this is a book that gives us such great hope saying, let's fix our eyes together on Jesus because truly in him, we have hope. Let me give you a background. Now, boy, I got to tell you as a preacher, when you say, let me give you a background to a book, I know you're thinking, okay, let me get out my shopping list, right? But this is, this is important stuff because it gives us a context. It's, it'll give us kind of the framework for, for us to understand what is this really saying to the original audience and to us? So let's, let's jump in. The first question is, is who wrote the book of Hebrews? And if you have that answer, you've solved the mystery that the church has not been able to solve. We don't know. It's a book that doesn't have an author that, that said this is an epistle of Paul or Peter wrote this. We, we don't know who wrote this. And there's, there's been an argument through church history for those who like to argue on these things of who actually wrote it. And some will say, well, it's Apollos or, or maybe Priscilla or, or maybe the, Luke, uh, the, the Greek is so incredibly good. Maybe it's Luke. Hit pause. If you have a King James version of the Bible, a very good version, 1611 translation, if you have an older King James, it might say the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. No way Paul wrote it. There's no way. There's too much language that Paul never used. There's themes that Paul never talked about. Uh, not only that, it clearly says, this writer says, that gospel that the Lord gave to us and gave to others, we have received. Paul always made it clear that Jesus himself gave him his ministry. So it's not Paul, but we don't know who it is. But maybe more important than who wrote it, but we know it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's God's word. It's to whom did he write it? Now, this is very interesting because to whom did he write it? They were what is called Hellenistic Jews or uh, Greeks being Jewish folks that, that had been affected by the culture around them. They spoke Greek. Uh, when they read the Bible, their Old Testament, they read it in the Septuagint or typically in the Greek, not in the Hebrew. Uh, they were folks who were long waiting a Messiah now who said, hey, I believe that Jesus is that Messiah. And they, they've come to faith. And also a very important thing is when did he write it? Sometimes it's not as important of when, but for this, it's really important. And you'll understand as we go through it. This was written between 65 and 69 AD. Now you might want to say, well, why is that important? Well, something really important happened in 70 AD. In 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, never been rebuilt. But before that, there was still sacrifices going on. So Jesus, who, who has died and was ascended around 33 or something like that AD, and there's a time period as the church was just starting to grow that they still had a temple and there were still sacrifices. And so that they were wrestling with the fact is, is Jesus enough or do we need to go back to the temple? Do I need to start bringing my goats and bulls again to be sacrificed for my sins? Or was Jesus enough? And how did he write it? Or how did he preach it? I'll tell you about more about that in a minute. Uh, how did he write it? It was more of a compare and contrast. 
It's basically going to say, let me tell you about Jesus. And he's going to take Jesus uh, and he's going to, or she's going to compare uh, Jesus to, to anyone else or anything else, especially that culture would hold up the hope. Jesus is greater than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than than Aaron. I mean, Jesus is the best priest. Jesus is it. It's a compare and contrast with Jesus to everything else where there's only one standing. It's not even close. It's Jesus. That's how he wrote it. It was interesting because in the book of Hebrews, it calls it the very end. It says this word of exhortation. It's not as much of a letter like Paul wrote or, or Peter wrote. It's really more of a sermon that was preached. What a sermon. I can't imagine sitting through it. We're going to go through it for the next 11 weeks. Uh, this is a sermon that, that I'm going to, listen, I really want to take about 20 with this, but we got the thing called Advent coming up. So we're going to get ready for that too. But it was probably preached. But what was the goal? The whole goal was this. Don't give up. Don't give up on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Grow, grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus. Grow, grow to understand him. And as you grow, you will truly live. Okay, that's a little bit of the background. Let's read Hebrews chapter one. And uh, Hebrews one is this incredible picture of who Jesus is in comparison of angels and that there's none like him. Let's hear the word of the Lord in Hebrews chapter one. If you wanna follow along with me, the word should be behind me on the screen in your bulletin or in your Bible in front of you. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, you may want to underline that, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having come as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, and he's now going to quote several passages of of Old Testament scripture. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him, worship Jesus. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they'll be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Let us pray. Oh, Father God, this morning we look at the supremacy of your son, your only begotten son. The one who was the creator and sustainer of all things. The only redeemer and rescuer and savior of the world. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and be with us? Would you speak through a broken sinner like me? So each one of us could fix our eyes upon Jesus. To see him as he truly is. Father, for some it might be for the very first time. For some it might be for the first time in a long while. And for some, it might be once again, just that recalibration of being reminded of the supremacy of Jesus over all things. God, would you give us ears to hear his voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word here as we have it in Hebrews 1? God, would you, would you give us hearts to embrace your love and your truth? And would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of, of your name, the name that's above angels, the name that is above every name? And God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of your son, would, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus? our Savior and your Son. God, we ask that you and you alone would receive glory. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. In your bulletin, if you want to follow along, you'll find an outline of sorts there for you. And as you get to chapter one, it's one of those chapters in the Bible that, that I know we're going to read. It's like, oh Lord Jesus, how in the world can we see the beauty of what's being said about Jesus? Did you hear, hear those words? It's incredible. The description that is given to, to Jesus. This is what uh, theologians will call Christology, the study of Christ. And some of the words are So grand and beautiful. Here's what it says of Jesus. He's the owner of all things, the heir of all things. There's nothing that he doesn't own because he is what? The second thing, the creator of all things. According to scripture, Jesus, uh, the word in flesh spoke and spoke and all things came into existence. This is Jesus. He's the sustainer of all things. How is the world staying together? How is the universe hanging together? How are we continuing on? It's because of the word of his power. The word of his power, he's sustaining all things. Now, think about that for a minute. What does it mean? The word of his power is sustaining the universe even right now. But it says even more than that, he's the redeemer of all things. Having made satisfaction for sin, he, having been that, that high priest and offering himself as a sacrifice, he, he sat down at the Father's right side. Why did he sit down? Because the work was sufficient. Jesus really did save his people. He's a redeemer of all of his own. But it says even more than that. Right in the middle of that, it basically says, he is God's son. And he's more than that. He's God in the flesh. It's the word, the Greek word, we get character. He's the character of God. He's, he's the radiance of the glory of God. It's, he's the exact imprint of his nature. He's using these words and piling them on to basically say, this Jesus who walked among us is the eternal one. He's the uncreated one who would put on flesh and walk among us. You want to see God? You see Jesus. 
You want to go to the Father? You got to go through Jesus. You want to know who Jesus, who God is? It's Jesus. And so it's basically saying, okay, let's just make sure for all you who are, who are struggling, the wondering if Jesus is enough, all you who are wondering about your circumstances, he wants to pull back the curtain and say, let's take a good look at Jesus. And oh my goodness, he is the owner, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, and God in flesh. It was interesting because at that time, there was some worship of angels. At that time, there was this wonder that angels had power. And maybe maybe we got to look to Jesus and angels. Or maybe there's a, a part of some angelic worship we need. He's like, are you kidding me? Th- those, those angels are just supposed to minister to us. They worship him. Jesus alone is the son. It, it also tells us in chapter 1, the glorious offices. Kind of a... a Religious term, if you will, a a term that theologians want to use. What are the offices of Christ? What did he come to do? And it will say this. Well, he came as the ultimate prophet who speaks for God, the priest who has a sacrifice to God, and king who rules for God. That Jesus is the prophet who has the last word. It's interesting. If you've read through scripture, you know the prophets of the Old Testament. They love the fraying, thus says the Lord. Here's what's going to happen. Thus says the Lord. When you get to Jesus, because he is God, he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, I'm speaking truth. I don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. Why? Because everything he says, saith the Lord. Truly, truly, he's the prophet, the ultimate prophet, who's going to have that that last word. He's the priest who offers the final sacrifice. One of my favorite chapters we'll get to is chapter 10. And it talks about the priests in the temple that every day over and over, they're always standing and they're always butchering animals for hoping that their sins would be forgiven. But Jesus one time offers himself as a sacrifice and he sits down. Why? Because it's done. It's finished. No more sacrifice. Not even yours. No more. He is the priest who offers the final and perfect sacrifice. And he's, he's the king with the lasting rule. As you read through the Old Testament, there's these kings, some good, some not so good. And they, they would live a certain amount of time. They'd die. They'd be, the kingdom was never stable. And because he's conquered death, because he's a king who's eternal, he's a king whose reign will last forever. Did you hear what Hebrews said about creation? It's going to be rolled up like a garment. That he remains the same. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. He's eternal. This is Jesus. And we fix our eyes on him. There's a couple of really interesting phrases in that first few that I want to unpack with you. And the first one is this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And Jesus is the fulcrum of time. He's the fulcrum. He's the turning point. The scripture will start off. The Hebrews will say, hey, in former times, in past ways, God spoke to us. Let's hit pause there for a minute. It's really cool. God speaks. And he speaks in a way that we can hear him. The Bible tells us creation speaks every day and tells us of him. His word speaks to us. He says in former days, these old long ago days, God spoke. But in these last days, did you see the change in these last days? When Jesus appeared and walked the earth, time shifted. It hinged. It went from the past to the now and the future. That, that when Jesus was here, he said, the kingdom of God is now at hand. The, the end days, they, we're in them. Uh, th- these are the end days. It's basically saying this. 
Not just this eschatological lookout because Jesus could be coming back anytime. Well, that's true. He's basically saying all of time that God created hinges on Jesus. That God's story finds its plot in him. You'll never know the Bible unless you know Jesus. You'll never understand what he's doing, what it, what it is. The, the entire story of God, entire history of God hinges, turns on the fulcrum of Jesus. He's this inauguration of the last days. And he's basically saying this, don't look for another. He said, they wondered, is there another Messiah coming? Is there something more coming? Is this not the apex of the story? What, what else is there to look for? He's like, no, 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 guys, the story is hinged. It's turned. Don't look for another. How do you look for another other than Jesus? What, what, what ways does it manifest itself in your life? For me, I know it's when I'm not walking by faith. For, for me, when, it's, when I'm looking for an idol in my heart, something in my heart to give me my identity or to give me my joy or to give me my life. It's me looking for another other than Jesus. And, and the writer is saying, don't look for another. He's it. He is the fulcrum of time. He's basically saying it this way. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God promised. And God's promises are God-sized promises. He's, he's promised big things throughout scripture. And many of them seem really conditional. If you do this, I will do that. And you look in the mirror and say, darn it. Didn't do it. And then you look to Jesus, you fix your eyes on him and say, oh, but he did. He did. And all the promises are mine in Christ Jesus. Everything that the father, a good father has promised to his children, life and life abundantly, even forgiveness of sins, a, a place with him, a name, an identity, a joy that is all found in Jesus. All the promises of God are fulfilled in him. He's the hope of what's to come. They're wondering, you know, they're, is there another one coming? Interestingly, we'll talk about a guy named Melchizedek. I don't have time to get into it now. He's a priest that appeared in the book of Genesis. And there were some of the thinkers of those days thinking, well, maybe this Melchizedek has to come back. Maybe our hope is that there's somebody else coming that will finally make this right. How many times do you live your life saying, what's going to finally make my life right? What is it that's going to be like, once I reach this plateau, I'm okay. They say, no, 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 don't, don't hope in anything to come. He's already come and he's coming back. Our hope in him and him to come. They also will say about Jesus, well, listen, he is the creator to be worshiped and the ruler to be obeyed. He created all things. Worship him alone. What else are you worshiping? God has made us all worshipers. I mean, you're worshiping something. You've never met a man or woman or child who's not worshiping something. Why? Because you're made in God's image. I'm reading a really cool book, uh, a guy named Smith. I can't remember his first name. You are what you love. And what you love, you'll ultimately worship. And what you worship, you'll ultimately become. Really, God has given us this great love for him that he alone is to be worshiped. Nothing else in heaven or earth. He is a ruler to be obeyed. I think the question for us is this, is, is Jesus the hinge of your story? Is Jesus the apex of your story? Is Jesus the plot of your story? Is Jesus the hope of your story? That's what Christianity is all about. I mean, not just the Bible, but they individually say that Jesus truly is. There were the days I didn't know Christ and the days I do know him. The days I lived in sin and darkness, the days I lived with him. It's the hinge of our lives. 
It's the hinge of our story. It's the hinge of our hope that in Christ Jesus. A prayer I often utter, I don't know if you know this, but I often sit there before I get up and preach and I'm just begging God to do his thing. And what always gives me peace is when I get nervous, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to talk about God and open up his word and, you know, talk about how great and grand he is and realize how small and feeble I am. It helps me remember, God, you got this. You got this. And you got me. God, you got this and you got me. I think that's a prayer I often utter throughout life when I get nervous, I get afraid, and I, I feel like I'm not enough, and gosh, I know you do too. When I realize my own sinfulness and brokenness, and, and I start turning my eyes and fixing my eyes on Jesus, and say, Jesus, you got this. You got this. I mean, my, my business might be a mess. My, my marriage might not be where it wants to be. My kids may not be, but, but Jesus, at the end of the day, if you are the owner, the creator, the sustainer of all things, if you are God in the flesh, you got this. You got me. And I have hope. Fixing our eyes on Jesus secondly and lastly is because why? Jesus was what God has to say. Now that's cool, isn't it? And that's pithy. I can say that because I didn't say it first. (laughs) Brian Zahan, a pastor and writer, said, you want to know Jesus? You want to know what God has to say? Jesus is what God has to say. Because in the past, God spoke through the prophets in different times, in different ways. Sometimes he used dreams. Think of Joseph. Sometimes he used visions. Think of Ezekiel. But when it says he spoke in different times, in different ways, it's, it's really an interesting look at the words. These, these two words, they kind of rhyme, by the way, different times, in different ways in the Greek. But it'll also be saying, he gave us fragments of the story. He gave us various parts of the story. Everything before Jesus was like a little part of the story. Here's, here's a little bit about God. Here's a little bit about the story. Here that is. And they're all like puzzle pieces. And until you got Jesus, you didn't understand the story. It was like they were just fragments. And all of a sudden, they all snap into place. And the picture you see is of God's son. It's like being handed puzzle pieces. And you never, you never could put it together because you never could look at the picture. And once Jesus came and said, this is the picture. And in the picture is his perfect life, his atoning death, his, his empty grave and sacrifice. And in that picture, we say, oh, this is how the whole story fits together. So what does that mean? Don't listen to anyone else. I mean, he's the one. He's got the final word. After Jesus speaks, he's God's son. He drops the mic. He's like, there's no one else to listen to. If you ever listen to someone who's not pointing you to Jesus, I mean, you really are listening to something that's secondary. There's a really beautiful story in all of the gospels, all the synoptic gospels, is that uh, Jesus tells right uh, we, we hear about Jesus right after the confession that you are the Christ. And you can find it, for example, in Matthew 17. Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? Peter nails it out of the park. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Incredible stuff. And then all of a sudden, once that announcement was made to who Jesus was, he goes up on the mountain with his three best friends, Peter, James, and John. And there, uh, his glory came back. I mean, everything that was veiled by flesh. I mean, the Godhead that we can't really see because he's, he's 
one of us walking around with us. And by the way, that's chapter two. Wait till you hear next week. It's incredible how he does that. But Jesus, all of a sudden, his glory is seen and they, they can hardly see and they're falling down. But what appeared with him was really interesting. Elijah was there, the giver of the law. And, and also, uh, I'm sorry, Moses was there, the giver of the law. And also Elijah, one of the major prophets. And Peter, like only Peter can, is confused. And he doesn't know what's going on, but he knows this is a really cool moment. Oh my goodness, I'm up here. This is incredible. And he says this, he goes, hey, I got a good idea. Let's make three platforms. Let's make one for Moses and let's put him on that. And let's make one for Elijah. Let's put him on that. And let's make a platform for Jesus because here are our three heroes. This is it. And the father says, that one's my son. Listen to him. All these others, the law only pointed to him. The prophets only pointed. They were only pieces of the puzzle. They'll never set you free. They'll never make you whole. They'll never give you life. You think you could find life by being moral? Are you kidding me? You think you can find life by pursuing anything other than Jesus? It'll never happen. And so he's basically the father saying, listen, all those other ones fade away. They're gone. And there's one who remains and it's Jesus. Because you want to know what God has to say? What he has to say is Jesus. It's incredible. Who are you listening to in your life? Who has the final word in your life? Now let's, let's talk about it daily. I mean, let's talk about Christianity. This is sometimes it's so big and it's, it's like, you know, theory. But like, what about right here in our shoes? What voices are you listening to? Who or what is telling you who you are and telling you what to do? Who, who or what is, have you given that power to? Who are you listening to? I, by nature, I think I've shared with you that I have, I have the you stink tape that goes on. It's like the greatest hit. I wake up and my, my tape player in my mind wants to start playing it. And even before I, I it can get out of bed, it just wants to start telling you, you're not good enough. You haven't gotten up early enough. You haven't, you haven't read enough scripture yet. And, and you're not going to run hard enough and you're not going to be good enough. And, and for those of us who struggle with this, and for those of us who know, sometimes before you even get out of bed, you can feel defeated that you're not good enough. For those of those, those of you who have that tape that just like drives you batty, that you want to eject. The question is, are you letting that have the last word? Or are you letting Jesus have the last word? Do you mean, do you, do you hit the floor praying, saying, Jesus, I know I'm not good enough. I know I'm not enough, but you are. And Jesus, uh, I know that my identity, I could strive to find it in myself and, and what I do today, or I could rest in already what you've done. I could live out a response to grace and love and mercy and a sacrifice that was sufficient, or I could run like mad because of a tape that tells me I stink. I have to eject that over and over again. I think that's why he says, if you want to be my disciple, daily you come to me and put down your cross. And that cross of self-sufficiency, that cross of am I enough, am I good enough? And for those of us who have that tape, it's, it's what Jesus is saying is, listen, I got the last word. What is going to identify you in the long run is not you, it's me, Jesus says. And what I speak over you, I speak over you with love and tenderness. What are you going to listen to? He has the last word. 
I have a, I have a friend that I, uh, that I love, uh, hang out with that, uh, recently lost a brother and, uh, sad kind of, we saw it kind of happening and his parents are grieving. If you're, you know, that terrible pain of outliving your kids, it's an awful pain. And the folks, these, these people don't know Jesus. And so they're going to psychics and they're, they're, they're going to, uh, uh, those who could maybe, uh, talk with the dead. And they want a final word from their son. They want to know, is he, is he okay? They want to have that final word. They want to, they want to have that final hope. We all do. We all long for that final word, that final hope. And the only one who will ever have it is Jesus. He is the word of hope. He is the final word. He is the only one who's conquered death. He's opened up paradise. His supremacy, his sufficiency is enough. Even when we lose our loved ones in Christ, we have hope. Don't look to another. Whatever your circumstances are, don't look to another. Don't listen to another. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Put your trust in him alone. This week we had right in here, uh, one of my favorite things, we had an Orangewood Christian School high school chapel. It was a student-led chapel and they did a great job leading worship and some of the students spoke and one of the students who spoke was, was Noah Hunter, the grandson of Joel Hunter. And I had to text Joel as I was sitting here listening to him. Just said, man, you'd be so, you're so proud of your, your grandson as he's sharing. I don't know if you know the Hunter story, but it's, it's not an easy one. It's, it's one some great pain. I will forever be a card-carrying member of the Joel Hunter fan club. I will forever love that man. I'm a lot taller than he is, but man, what a tall man of God he is. He's lost a granddaughter to hideous cancer. He lost a son in a battle that was awful and just one of the most painful things in our city. He's seen the pain of life and he gets up and he talks about Jesus. How do you do that? I think the only way you ever could do that is you fix your eyes on Jesus. And you say, he is my hope. He is my savior. He is my friend. He is Jesus. Don't send him back. Some of your Amazon stuff, send back. Never send him back. Because if you got him, you have it all. This table helps us fix our eyes on Jesus. This table helps us fix our eyes on him and reminds us that Jesus is enough. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you'd come and prepare our hearts to meet with you to fix our eyes on Jesus on this table. We ask that you'd bless our tithes and offerings to advance your kingdom. God, we ask that you would eject the tapes out of our minds that tell us that we're not enough. We ask that you would change the, the scenery around us, that our circumstances are too big for you and we're out of control. And may we be reminded that you got this and you got us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.